And we're back. Bits and Bites podcast here, everyone. Uh, this is episode four. I'm Matt Scott with my co-host, Joey. Yeah, good to be back, Matt. Uh, and we have some exciting guests with us today. Um, so just so everybody that's listening, again, knows what we're doing here and what our goals are on the Bits and Bites podcast, we want to bring newest innovation, best practices, and thought leaderships to our listeners, uh, our customers, uh, bring in our OEM partners, bring in some individuals that have deep knowledge into you know spaces that people are interested in, and, and have this be a resource. This is not a self-serving podcast. This is us for sharing more. The more and more we talk with our customers, there's more need for similar situations. Uh, and I feel like when we have those conversations, growth comes. So uh, welcome to our fourth episode of the Bits and Bytes podcast. We have two great individuals with us today. Thank you guys uh, for joining us. We're, I want to introduce uh, Colonel David Josephorski. Commanding Officer, Marine Air Control Group 48, and our uh, practice lead for our Fed business area, Bill Miles. Thank you guys both for joining us. We're super excited to have you on the podcast and um, can't wait to pick your brain. You know, one of the things I wanted to tell our podcast listeners, and it's great that uh, Colonel Josephorski came on here with us, is that he's going to be joining us on May 25th for our AFSIA event. He's actually going to be our keynote speaker. So this is kind of a, a bit of a foreshadowing. Um, you know, we plan on picking his brain a little bit on his viewpoint of informed environments and leveraging data within uh, his experience in the military. It's super exciting. We can't wait to have you uh, with us, Colonel. And uh, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Thanks for having me on, Matt and Joey. It's, it's an honor to be talking with you today and, and looking forward to the conversation and be able to share some of my experiences that I've had in the military and, you know, how that translates over into the, into the commercial side, especially with the, the theme of the FC event with, with smart city. So hopefully I can, you know, share some thoughts on what we've done in the military and, you know, how that, you know, directly carries over into, uh, to what's being done on the, you know, in the, in the city side. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's like perfect segue into a place where I'd love to start. And, you know, you've been, involved and engaged in, you know, leveraging and utilizing data throughout your career. I'd love to get a little bit of background from you around how you've seen that use and leveraging of data, how you've seen that progress and how that's changed throughout uh, your time in your various roles. Yeah, so just kind of a little bit of 30, 40 seconds of background. So I'm in aviation command and control. So we operate out of command centers where we process large amounts of, of data trying to turn it into knowledge to make decisions. And then I've done some jobs outside of the, my job, especially as well in the Pentagon, where I was at headquarters Marine Corps and processing information across the, our headquarters staff and working with the, with the joint staff. And then I also did a fellowship at the Department of Homeland Security on uh, uh, trying to bring information together to stop transnational organized crime and then when I was wow. at U.S. Man in the Middle East, I was also working the processing of information and how we share that with our uh, coalition partners. So that's just a quick, uh, quick idea of what I've done the last 10 years. Wow. Maybe some, you know, high level. How, did, how have you seen that change? I mean, like it, it has to be immense. I mean, I feel like all of a sudden in the last, you know, five, probably 
you know, even the last two years, it's been hyper flexed and and maybe that's just me, but you know, how have you personally seen that the use of the data change and um, the ability to you know have that insight and input? The data for us on the military side, you know, goes into classification levels. So, you know, whether that's top secret, secret, or unclassified. So that really, you know, has a big play in how we are able to share information uh, across those different security uh, classification levels and. You know, the challenge for us is, is how do we get the whole picture in order to make a decision? So I got information at these various security levels and maybe coming off a of radar that's producing something at the TS level. I may have a piece of intel that's, you know, secret and I may have some, you know, open source reporting. So how do I take all those three different pieces of information across our security classification levels and get it? you know, into a system to process it and then to be able to have the human brain, you know, make a decision, you know, on what to do for us. It's, you know, really this targeting, you know, how do we take that and target against different threats that are out there from our adversary and to be able to do it quicker than they're able to target us. So that's, you know, those are the challenges we're continually working on during our training exercises, you know, and we're actually in deployments. Um, so that's, you know, those are, that's kind of a, that's probably our hardest thing that we're, you know, we're working towards on a daily basis, you know, and what we're training towards is, is the bringing all that different data together across this, the security classification levels uh, to be able to make, you know, an educated decision on how to target. Yeah, I mean, it's so important, right? And it's, it's exactly where we're going as an organization, Bill. You, you and I have talked about this several times is, you know, how do we take these smart cities that are you know working in silos and and how do we help break down the silo walls make it sensor agnostic have the data be the data and create a more informed environment uh you know giving better understanding of what's going on out there by triangulating various sensors various data uh and it sounds like colonel josephorsky has you know been doing this already in some of various areas that he's been overseeing. You know, Bill, you were talking to me earlier around, and, and I know, David, I know that you're very familiar with the JADC2, but Bill, you were you made a comment around how JADC2 and, and the goal of what, what the military is doing there is very similar to what some of these uh, state and local and emergency response, you know, capabilities are looking for. Maybe, maybe you can... Uh, you know, lean in on that a little bit more and we can, you know, discuss that. Sure, Matt. Uh, Joey, Matt, thanks for the invite. Colonel Josforsky, good morning. Uh, good to see you again. Yeah, I think when we look at the fundamental concept of JADC2, we're kind of, we think that there's a very distinct difference between that and how, say, first responders would respond in an incident command system. But I think, you know, and I, I think I use the term, they're genetically very similar. It's kind of like a big brother, little brother setup. They're similar because the goals are similar. The end goal of an incident command system is to manage an incident as it occurs. And you're looking at, you know, safety, you're looking at, you know, accountability, you're looking at objectives and the tactical goals that you need to achieve to successfully implement the objective. The objective may be different. It may be to implement power. Uh, it might be, you know, a security threat. There's various different levels, but fundamentally all you're doing is you're, you're maintaining 
a command and control with ICS through a almost a written or you know chalkboard documentation, whereas JADC2 is much more along what you know Colonel Joseph Forsky is talking about, where you're integrating data on the fly, where you're needing to tag data at the earliest possible point so it can be more useful. You can almost look at it as a funnel. If you can get that data tagged at the beginning of the funnel, as it comes in the wider end, it can be dispersed into more appropriate areas. So the earlier you can tag that data before it gets in there. And I think the biggest challenge is financial concerns, like not de not defining why it's important, but defining why it's valuable, why we should spend the money on that. You know, to some degree, it's somewhat easier within the military because you own all the capabilities to pull all the data from those sensors. Whereas when you're a state or local agency, every agency has their own capabilities and, and it's almost like their own silos. So in order to, to get information from all those various agencies is somewhat of a challenge. I, I don't know, uh, you know, Colonel, do you, do you see from a different level standpoint, as Bill was saying, big brother, little brother, uh, do you see that as a major advantage of, of the military or, you know, or a limiting disadvantage from like state and local, you know, agencies? Yeah, to be honest with you, Matt, I, I think that we're have the same challenge in the military as as on the on the commercial side from from an ICS standpoint. I, I, while we own our own capabilities, that, that not necessarily that we're actually uh, set up efficiently to be able to take advantage of of uh, all our different capabilities. So, you know, what we have to do is work across services uh, when we actually go and you know we deploy in, a, in an environment. I'll use Iraq for an example of how we, you know, kind of formulate a joint task force. So when we, each of the services has their own capabilities that we bring to uh, a deployed environment. So when we're, uh, when we deploy out to Iraq, for example, there's a combined joint task force that's established to oversee all of our coalition partners, as well as all the, the services that are there to support. So, if the Marine Corps and the Navy, the Air Force, the Army, and the Space Force all bring capabilities underneath that that umbrella of that commander of the Joint Task Force, you know, then that commander can kind of determine how we utilize each other's resources in order to gather the data in order to eventually make the the right decisions based on the the threat that's out there. So, when we're kind of in you know a normal peacetime environment, we're in our you know at our bases and each services is doing their own thing, you know. Our goal is to acquire equipment that's interoperable, and that's kind of the JADC2 concept is, you know, and, and the oversight from the uh, Office of Secretary of Defense is, you know, each service buy equipment that's interoperable. So when we go and deploy together, we can actually utilize each other's resources in order to make sure that we're able to get the right data in order to make decisions in a timely manner. So. But I think we, we still can be in silos in the military too. So it's you know I don't want to I don't want to you know give you the impression that everything's all you know great in the military because we we own our own equipment and we can make the own decisions. I I think at the state and local levels in the smart cities, you you have all the different resources and you're trying to pull those that information together in order to make decisions. I think it's the same, you know, similar concept, you know, in what we're trying to do in the military, in order to to pull everything in. 
in order to get the right data to turn it into uh, knowledge uh, to make a decision and then to act. We're here with Colonel David Josephorsky and Biteworks' own William Miles, and we're talking about sensors and making sense of the data and utilizing it in a way that's beneficial for any organization, including the public sector, right? So we're talking to a Marine here, which is a very unique opportunity for a civilian such as myself. I don't get to do this that often. But one of the things I thought about as you were speaking was you talked about passing information up the ladder. And one of the things that I have to remind myself is wars are still fought by human beings, right? So how important is it to provide the information that, of course, the superiors have to make the big, big decisions, but also to give it to the warfighters and infantry men and women on the ground so that they that way they can avoid unnecessary events, uh, IEDs, stuff like that, that can severely damage uh, a mission and campaign. Yeah, and I think you, 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 what you described as the fundamental you know, concept of decision making and where does that decision making reside at. So data is what it is. It's, you know, it can come in many forms and, and have you know, different types of benefits, but you know, it's really you know, how do you take those disparate pieces of information and get it to the right uh, level where a decision can be made. And, and it really depends on the decision. Some decisions are meant for the strategic level uh, which could be the president. Some decisions are at the combatant commander level, you know, that, that's in charge of a, of a region. Some are delegated down, you know, down to the commander of the joint task force for that specific mission. And then some are delegated down to those tactical levels to, to someone on the ground. So it really, you know, each scenario is different. So the decision making, you know, is at all those different types of levels. And it really depends you know, on what you're trying to accomplish and what the what the mission set is. So that's the decisions that will be, you know, made and what we push down as far as decisions, you know, based on on the threat and based on, you know, on the requirement. And but I think that what's what that's what makes us, you know, in the US military a lot more effective than some of our adversaries. Our adversaries, a lot of that information is pushed to the highest level and it takes time uh, in order to make that decision. For us, I think we decentralize, you know, pretty effectively down to uh, a, a more tactical level in order to make decisions a lot quicker. And, and, you know, I think that's our advantage. That's what separates us from, you know, some of our adversary militaries. That's great. Yeah. And Bill, I know that you were going to go, you know, at our AFSIA event and, you know, start sharing a little bit on, how through data science and, and AI, we're trying to help create some predictable outcomes or you know, informed you know, outcomes so that decisions can be made and even you know, to some degree prioritized in, you know, on, on the beforehand. So I'm super excited to you know, share more of that when we, when we have it at the event. I know that you've been working uh, with the team a lot on that and, and would love to integrate that as well. Uh, Bill, you were about to say something. What's uh, what's on your mind? Well, so uh, first off, Colonel Josvorsky, your hoodie is perfectly circle. Circle. It's it's amazing. Well played. <laughs> um, so we coming at some point, just so that everybody knows they know each other. <laughs> I said I had to get the Marines uh, symbol on the sweatshirt for you. Right. You see him throwing I, uh, it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I kind of wanted to talk about, to reiterate something that, you know, Colonel Joseph has had said and something that Joey had kind of mentioned. When we talk about 
the challenges, and this will lead into your, your question as well, Matt, when we talk about the challenges, municipality versus, you know, military, I think the technology is there. I think the, we know where to spend the money. I think the challenges are the, the TTP. So it's not a maturity of technology. It's a maturation of TTP techniques, tactics, and practices. Using it. Um, yeah. What we've got is as a young infantryman, we're taught map, map reading is one of the most fundamental things. And we're taught on a map what, you know, you get your left and right limits and you create, you know, some, some, some type of handrail. And then you have a backstop. Now you mark that as a, you know, some terrain feature, ridgeline, stream, whatever. That becomes a data point and that data point hides until you see that data point and then it pops up and it kind of hits you in the face. And you now have, okay, I've gone too far. I've drifted left. I need to, you know, go 30, you know, what, 30 degrees back on azimuth, whatever. But that's a data point that didn't exist until it did. And when it did, it became very important. And when we look at these things in the military, we've had, for better or for worse, we've had about 20 years of combat experience to mature the TTPs of, of how to use technology. And, you know, Colonel Josforsky said it very well that, you know, data doesn't have to be, it comes in all different sources. That map, that terrain feature on that map is a, is a type of data that is now important. And what we have, not only is the maturity of the TTPs or the lack of maturation of TTPs within the civilian world, because that firefighter hasn't had the years of experience with new data and evolution of data. So what they're almost going from third grade to seventh grade. You know, there's this yeah. huge gap where they're trying to figure it out. And I think that becomes a very big challenge when trying to invest someone into why should you use this technology? It's not the technology's maturity. While some of them are immature, I 100% agree. It's not necessarily the immaturity of the technology, but it's more so the case that how to leverage that new data. If I'm a firefighter and I am a firefighter, when we go into a building, we're not necessarily using the, the, the thermal device up front. It's at the end of it typically, or maybe to find out if, if you can't see flame where there might be flame, but if there's a fire, you just go to the fire. And so I think teaching folks to use a drone in advance in orbit to find out where, you know, is it on the, AD side of the building or the AB side of the building, where where's the fire at in route? That's going to take some time to for, for folks to understand that. You know, to answer your question, Matt, you know, that's kind of where the technology, you know, it's a surreptitious route, right? It's yeah. going to you know go back and forth, and it's it's almost going to pass a generation before it will be accepted. I think maybe that gap is filled with the operating platform, right? So like, instead of having to teach the individuals how to, you know, leverage all of this, you know, data better, maybe the platform does it better for them to make it easier or simpler to, you know, digest or understand and, and such. So um, I, I love it. I, and I think that this is exactly kind of where we're going and the conversations that need to be had and leveraging all of this information as it's coming out so fast, like, especially with like the use of artificial intelligence mm -hmm. and, and stuff. Um, and, and, you know, that's one of the questions that I'd love to get Colonel's uh, opinion on is, you know, with what you've learned in the military, 
you know, how would you pivot artificial intelligence uh, into the civilian world? Where, where do you think that fits? And, uh, you know, I mean, this is a question that's being asked. I was, you know, just at a, another partner summit yesterday, and everybody's trying to leverage AI into everything. And so love to get, get your perspective on, you know, where that fits and where we can pivot that. The way we purchase equipment in the military and have the, you know, the ability to do artificial intelligence, I think we've, I, I think we're behind, in a sense of, in you know, in leveraging the capabilities that are out there in the commercial sector. I think we've gotten, you know, over the last two or three years, we've put a pretty heavy emphasis uh, on artificial intelligence. You know, and I when I was in the Pentagon, I got to see that uh, pretty closely uh, at the Office of Secretary of Defense level. That there, there's there's you know, a lot of money that's being put into this now, you know, recently over the, over the past couple of years across all the services. So I, I think as we, as we procure, you know, the, the different type of command center capabilities that we need to make sure that we have artificial intelligence built into there, you know, so the software is built into the, the, into the capabilities that we're getting and that we can constantly adjust, you know, what we want that software to do based on the dynamic environment that we're in. You know, I sit in command, you know, my, you know, 25 years in the Marine Corps, I sat in command centers the whole time at, at all different types of levels. And, you know, the ability to process what comes in by the human brain is near impossible. Hmm. We have to have some help in order to alert us of what uh, data is there. And then, you know, to alert us what may be valuable for you to make a decision. For example, Bill mentioned unmanned aerial systems. You know, I, I'm flying an unmanned aerial system over a road, you know, constantly every single day. I need the ability to know if something's changed in that road. You know, that's how, you know, when we're in Iraq and Afghanistan, you know, the IED threat, you know, that was out there on the roads, you know, what looks different in that road as the, as the unmanned aerial system continually flies over there. And we need artificial intelligence to be able to pick up that change that happens in that road that, yeah, it's not going to be available on, you know, by the human eye. So, you know, that's something that we're constantly uh, working through on how to leverage uh, AI in order to help us make uh, decisions much quicker and to improve that decision cycle that we're expecting in JADC2. Um, because, you know, often we're going to find ourselves where we're passing information and sharing information across different military services. And, you know, sometimes that's cumbersome and takes time, but we need AI to, to, to reduce that time frame down uh, from the time we get data to the time we need, we need to make a decision because that extra minute or two minute may mean that a missile is inbound to us and we don't, mm. we're behind the curve on, you know, being able to target, you know, the enemy uh, before they're able to target us. Yeah, I, I see so many, so many things as, yeah. you know, you're describing that. I see also probably not the same situation, but the use cases and applicability mm -hmm. into, you know, some of these governmental agencies, you know, emergency response or some of these uh, broader mass casualty situations, Bill, that we're, you know, seeing out there and, and the ability to, you know, quickly synthesize the data and, and, and inform us. That's, that's huge. It's a really good perspective. I appreciate you sharing that with us. Um, yeah, I got I got something. It's it's May. It's Mental Health Awareness Month, and you know I hear so many stories of of close friends of mine that have served, and they're dealing with some things that I can never truly understand. And a lot of the questioning that goes on after an explosive event 
a lot of the answers are subjective, right? There's somebody that talks to them, but I can't imagine going through something like that and trying to articulate that to somebody that wasn't there. Maybe I'm not even 100% sure how it all went down. And, you know, I, I won't speak for everybody here, but as a guy, I never want to admit that I'm hurt. You know, I want to stay in the game. I want to stay in the battle. And these are soldiers. These are men and women that have committed their whole lives to serving, right? No matter what that takes. And it's my understanding that now there are sensors and software to make sense of objective data, like how fast your heartbeat is and other, you know, measurable things with the brain, uh, the neuropathy that goes on at that time. How important do you see that as we try to kind of hone in on this ongoing issue with mental health for our veterans and those who have who continue to serve this country? So working in the fire service and a military guy and around a lot of military guys, this is something we talk about a lot. And one of our partners that's actually going to be at the event with us does what's called natural language processing. And it's an interesting, because when you look at subjective things, it's challenging because they are in fact subjective. One of the benefits of AI, especially when you look at how natural language processing works, if you can understand the language, which it's, you know, someone who's hurting, it's a different language almost. Now, I can't say that we know the full realm of everyone who's hurting their language, but on some level, it's very similar. We don't have that many different emotions. It's interesting to look at how could we, how could you use something like natural language processing to listen to someone speak and the emphasis they put on words that we might not be able to hear or interpret, and then have that run through an AI to potentially hmm. go down these these type of paths. Is this a that thing or is this a this thing? And I'm I'm a monkey. I, I don't know what those things are, but I think that if you got the right tools put in place and the right doctors, you know, to interpret the outcome of those that that data. I think that you could look at something that would potentially be the language of pain, the language of mental anguish. This guy or you know this individual is in a a, situ a challenging situation. Be more informative yeah. of what that person's going through. Or, yeah. I thought where you were going was these events are subjective, right? When you're an individual on on you know uh, perceptions, reality. Sure. Right? So I thought where you were going is sure. now that we have all of this, you know, autonomous, you know, information and more informedness within the environment that we can actually understand less subjectivity and yeah. more uh, objectivity. You know, objectivity yeah. of what actually happened like versus you could print something out and say you can see when this happened that that this this spike right here indicates post traumatic stress disorder. We need to take this course of action so I was that less on post traumatic stress disorder and more on what actually happened on the battlefield? Sure. Like, so this bomb went off over here, or um, you know that you know something else happened. So I was more in the lines of the actual event that happened out there, not with the individual, but the actual event that occurred. We can have a better understanding of it versus a perspective of just the individuals that were there. Yeah, there's so many ways you could go, right? There's so yeah. many different things you can collect. Does that make sense, Colonel? Yeah. So I, I just. You know, uh, I'll give you kind of my thoughts on the, the topic, um, you know, mental health awareness. So when you hear about this, we, we instantly go to PTSD and, you know, what the military deals with. I mean, this is this is across, you know, firefighters, police officers, 
those working trauma events in hospitals, you know, doctors and nurses, you know, and, and obviously it applies to the military as well. And I, I think what's the real problem? And, you know, the, the problem is we have in the military specifically, we have people committing suicide and we're losing more people to suicide than we are in actual combat. And it's, it's a killer and it's not just necessarily, you know, immediately after the events, it's, it's something, you know, it's things that happen, you know, months, years, you know, later. So I think that, you know, the use of AI is something I honestly never really thought about until you brought it up. And it's, it's actually an interesting thing to, how do you, how do you be preventive to help with avoiding suicides? And, you know, in, in the military, we give training all the time, at least once a year to help, you know, catch if somebody is in, you know, is in need of help. Uh, by what they're saying, but if there's actually some type of tool out there that could pick that up immediately, then you're being more preventative and not reactive. So I think that's a good point. And that's data that you can use after the fact, after they exit that career and head to the private sector, they can follow up because they have the information in front of them and it's not the doctor wondering what's going on. It's like here in front of you. Now, what do we do with this information? I loved what Bill said about like tone the way that people, yes. you know, even just down to, you know, yeah. pitch and tone or, you know, uh, uh, explicit words that yeah. kind of stand out. Sometimes people can't pick that up. There's sure. a lot, you know, um, it, it's, uh, that's really, that's really interesting. So before we go on, I, I, you know, so kind of Joey to, you know, w one thing I think it's, it's later now, but if, if we started this, it would become before. And what I mean by that is. We now know later that they were hurting then, and that's good data. But if we were to start this, say, in five years, if we were to get the military to buy off on this, we could take what you're talking about, Matt, in, in the, as an EMT, we call that mechanism of injury. How did someone get hurt? You know, in a car accident, there's three crashes. You know, so if we know that they got hurt in a car accident, we know that there's layers of body parts that we need to check within their organs. If you take that, if, if it's military, an explosion is different than getting shot. And one of the things that we can do right now is I can give Colonel Joe, all of Colonel Joe Saforsky's folks an app on their phone to track what they're doing, upright, down, loud noises, explosions, and all the features of just a Samsung or iOS phone that lets us understand what happens. Now, if they go, they in turn go into combat, and we know that they're blown up with a 0.75 G force. And then over a five year, and this is where back to your point, Joey, over a five year period to pull this data, obviously, you know, hopefully people aren't being blown up like that, you know, outside of combat. But, you know, we, we figure out that, you know, all the folks that have this turn out to be an, a T, TBI that we can see, you know, two years from now. We can then trend that data that stay, you know, 10 years from now, anyone yes. who gets hit with that automatically we we need to suspect that he or There's she a higher probability X Y Z, yeah. yeah. Just by you know kind of treating that you know what we in game real 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 physics right in in the game video game world 10, 15 years ago is a big deal. We treat that as a human on the phone and just as data points and what happened and you correlate that to medical discussions just like we just like Colonel J is doing normal medical discussions. Hey, how are you feeling? What's going on? Yeah. And then, we, you know, as the data builds up, it becomes very powerful as a preemptive, almost, it's not exactly AI, but
but it's a predictive algorithm that says, hey, you are very likely to have an X, Y, or an, a Z. This is great information. I'm super excited. Really appreciate both of you guys joining us. The final question I would ask is, Colonel, what are you most excited about with the AFCIA event? What are, what are you looking forward to most? Looking forward to the most to, uh, you know, seeing some old friends that I haven't seen in, uh, I think, about uh, a decade plus, uh, and uh, Bill being one of them, and a couple other folks from, uh, from, from the Bite Works team. Uh, I'm also uh, excited about talking about what we're doing in the military with data, uh, how we're using it, and then, you know, where we're going here in the future, and, and uh, you know, trying to integrate, you know, what we're doing in the military to, you know, the theme of the event, which is Smart City. I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, to hearing about, you know, what's done on the commercial, you know, on the civilian side with the emergency ops centers, you know, and how uh, information and data is processed through those uh, at the state and, and local level. So it's it's going to be a great uh, a great afternoon. I'm really looking forward to being there uh, with you guys and and some old friends and and meeting and meeting new people and establishing new friendships. Well, I know I speak on behalf. We are we feel very privileged to have you. We're very excited to have you. Uh, the fact that you're still talking to Bill says accolades, so, you know, uh, but um, Jeremiah and James, I was just with them earlier this morning, Jeremiah and James, our founding partners, uh, said to say hello to you. Uh, they, they, they both are excited about the event and seeing you as well. Super excited to uh, see everybody. This is the Bits and Bites podcast number four. Thank you both gentlemen very much. You guys have a wonderful day.